Welcome to the watering hole. I'm Bara'a. And I'm Brida. And today we have a special guest joining us by the magic of the internet. The interwebs. <laughs> Insert <laughs> mystical jingle. Sounds. So with us, joining us uh, virtually is Uzma Jalaluddin, author of I Shall Last, a contemporary novel, a twist on Pride and Prejudice that's set in a close-knit Toronto community, Muslim community. The book has been featured in the Globe and Mail, Toronto Star, Chatelaine, Quill and Quirrell, I don't know how to say that, the New York Times. She also writes a parenting column called Samosas and Maple Syrup for the Toronto Star. This is her debut novel. Thank you for joining us, Uzma. Thank you for having me. So I just read this, like the generic description of your book, the one that I got off of your website. And right. in many instances, I've heard and I've read in interviews, it's described as a uh, modern day kind of Muslim Pride and Prejudice. I love Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> it's like <laughs> one of my favorite novels. And I'm seriously, I'm not so secretly obsessed with Elizabeth and Darcy. Uh, is that what you set out to do initially to write this kind of Muslim Pride and Prejudice or is that something that people gave to you? So what was your inspiration and how did it end up being uh, referred to as that? Well, like most writers, I have kind of a zigzaggy journey through uh, through my writing process. And uh, I was actually working on another book for many years and it wasn't really going anywhere as and, you know, most authors have one or two books uh, in a drawer somewhere. And uh, I went out for dinner, uh, for, for lunch with a, another writing friend of mine. And during the course of that conversation, I just had this vision of my main character, Khalid, who was a very devout looking Muslim man. He, he just didn't just walk with faith, but he actually wore this, you know, very Islamic uh, Muslim kind of signifier type of clothing, like a thobe, a white robe and a kufi a skull cap, and uh, he had a long beard. And he just popped into my mind and I just looked at him and I just started laughing because he had this sad expression on his face. He, just, <laughs> he, he wanted, he looked like this, someone who'd be scary, uh, according to, you know, stereotypes about Muslim men, but he just wanted love. He wanted to, to find his, his, his soulmate. And, uh, and I just thought, I need to tell this guy's story because how often do you see someone who looks like him, who dresses like him, as a star of a romantic comedy? So I started writing the book. And it wasn't until I was done my third draft, I think it was years into it, because I'm a slow writer, uh, that a, another writing friend of mine who had finished um, reading my book or perhaps I just talked about it, she said, oh, that's Pride and Prejudice. You know, you're writing Pride and Prejudice. And I didn't realize it at the time. I, I know I, I should should have clued in because I'm a huge fan of Jane Austen as well, but uh, it wasn't until someone else pointed it out to me and then I thought, okay. And then in subsequent drafts, I, I included a little bit more uh, of the Pride and Prejudice sort of plot line. But if you read my book, it's not a beat by beat copy of the plot of Pride and Prejudice. It's more inspired by, more, yeah. more like an homage. Yeah, and it's that kind of that serious... Um... Like, I like what you just said, almost like a, always a sad look on his face, kind of yeah, Mr. Darcy-esque type person. Yes. It's just like, yes. you know, you don't expect is actually longing for this sort of relationship. I was going to ask this a little later on, but since you mentioned that the that this, this story emerged from Khalid's character, one of my close friends, shout out to Sumaya, she just finished reading Aisha at last, and she told me, she's like, this is the most relatable book I've ever read in my life. And uh, she had said, I asked her if she had any questions, and she said, did someone influence Khalid's character. So I thought that would be a good time to ask it since he was, uh, I guess, kind of the starting point of the novel. 
I mean, not only is Muslim representation definitely lacking in the Canadian media and Canadian literature and uh, film and all of that, but when there is representation, oftentimes it focuses on the plight of women, uh, hijabi women, how oppressed they are, or perhaps they're kind of rebelling against something. And I don't think men, beyond the stereotype of um, somebody who was perhaps plotting something nefarious, really get a say or are portrayed too much in the media. So I kind of started from there. I I think I'm one of those writers who really gets inspired by characters. I want to know what they're thinking and I want to sort of deconstruct them a little bit. So I knew for sure that I would include a hijabi woman character because I think that representation is is lacking and and it's something that I can speak to authentically because I am a hijabi Muslim woman. But I also really wanted to to kind of portray the Muslim man. And as for inspiration, I mean, the way he dresses, it wasn't exactly inspired by anyone, but I'm, I, I have, um, I have a, uh, my, my father I'm very close to. I, I'm, I knew growing up, I knew a lot of very devout Muslim men. And there is always a disconnect with the way that, you know, someone who is quote unquote religious is portrayed in other stories and my real life examples. All the, most of the Muslim men I know are just regular people. They're, they're really kind and sensitive and, you know, they have their flaws, but they're not certainly not dangerous or scary. So I thought it would be interesting. And I thought, no one's really done this before. I think I can tell his story in a way that's authentic and relatable. So Uzma, this, uh, this is a little, uh, I'm, I'm sharing a bit of my personal uh, information <laughs> with you. I am not a reader whatsoever. Okay. Right? It divides but it please, please do not judge me. <laughs> All my close friends are readers. They've tried to get me to read. I have tried from comic right. books to novels. I read like yeah. articles here and there, but I not. I, I just can't get into it. Spark Notes was my best friend growing up. So <laughs> to me, teacher, right? <laughs> and, pardon? You know, I'm a high school English teacher. Yeah, I know. I, I, was, I, was, I was a high school teacher too. And okay. I just read textbooks pretty much. And, you know, I just... The uh, thing about Bureda is he doesn't seem like he's not a reader, which sounds so bad, but he's... Like, Bureda seems like he's read all these books, but he I don't. Hasn't. I don't need to be like you people, okay? <laughs> so for us non-reading folks, what, what, what would your elevator pitch of the plot summary be? Just to give us a little... Uh, and the audience, I suppose, just an idea of what Aisha at last is all about. A little... Uh, Aisha at last is a close look at a Muslim community in the east end of Toronto, and it features uh, my main character, Khalid, who is a devout conservative Muslim man who basically has uh, accepted the way that his family has practiced Islam all his life. And he, his world is turned upside down when he meets a fiery, outspoken, spoken word poet, uh, Aisha, who is a hijabi. Uh, and the rest of the book sort of follows their love story as they uh, lurch from one chaotic disaster to another. And in the background, you meet a lot of interesting characters, including a detective grandmother, a Shakespeare quoting grandfather, uh, a hacker younger brother, and a Khalid sister who has disappeared under mysterious circumstances. Wow. Okay, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm really hooked. <laughs> I just wish it was in movie form right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it might be. My, exactly. My the option for film, so. Okay. Which is very I, If you're looking for a starring role to play, <laughs> just so you know, I was like, excellent in drama, in drama in high school. <laughs> oh, God. If I had a dollar for every time someone's offered a star, <laughs> a movie that I have no control over. <laughs> <laughs> I... I was grow, grow, I didn't grow up in Canada, but I grew up in Canada. And uh, I remember when I was in fifth grade, I wore hijab and it was in the small town of Kamloops, British Columbia, which now a lot of people know about, but 
back then wasn't very common. And that's when I first decided to wear hijab. And I remember that year, I mean, I don't know if it was because I was started to wear hijab. And so that content started popping up around me, or if that was actually just a monumental year for like, you know, Muslims becoming more, a little bit more visible in the media. But that was a big year because Muslim girl magazine started coming out. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know the editor. Yeah. 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 So she's, yeah. Later on, uh, I've kind of, figured out kind of who she was and and then that year also was the year that little mosque on the prairie aired on cbc yeah and i remember actually i remember i followed that show so religiously because i mean first of all i love cbc but second um it's true uh, canadian (laughs) true canadian but i i remember feeling like oh my God, it's the first time that I'm seeing, um, I knew, of course, the actors and actresses, a lot of them were not Muslim, but I saw myself in a way being represented on TV and being represented like, you know, the, the main, one of the female leads, she wears hijab, which is a little bit in defiance of her family. She's a doctor. And then she meets this guy, the, the imam. And it felt special, right? Like it felt like no one has ever been funny and cool on TV while looking like me. So that was, you know, huge for me. And I know for so many others. And when we had Zarqa on the show, we were, you know, we discussed that. Did you set out to give that kind of representation? Did you have your own experiences of not being represented? Is that uh, something that, did that work into your approach? I think when I started writing this book, I I definitely knew that I wanted to write a book about Muslims and um, certainly that that lack of representation. Growing up, I'm a uh, I'm I'm the opposite of you, Breda. I'm a prolific reader, like a. I'm all, I always have like five books on my night table, constantly reading everything. And um, most of the books I read feature white characters living, most of the time living relatively middle class lives. And so there's not a lot of diversity across the board, whether it's diversity of socioeconomic or race or culture or religion or sexual orientation or anything. But at the same time, it wasn't like a manifesto, like I must correct the wrongs done by, you know, uh, decades of uh, mistakes in the media. I just wanted to tell a funny story about Muslims, something that would make me laugh, something that I could find relatable and that I wish I had been around when I was perhaps younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I had a really similar experience to you, uh, Barbara, when I, when I watched uh, Little Mosque on the Prairie for the first time, I remember my husband and I were sitting on the couch and we had just like a baby at the time. He was, my, my eldest son was maybe two, he's 13 now. My husband and I just looked at each other and we thought, we were like, can you believe this is happening? That there's a hijabi on the screen and there's a Muslim man on the screen and not, there's no plot about terrorism or <laughs> yeah. anything like that. They're just making, you know, jokes about the weather or whatever they were talking about living in a small town. And uh, it, it definitely felt like uh, a surreal moment because that had never happened. And oftentimes I think uh, people of color are so used to not being represented on the screen and on the page that when they do get that representation, there's a moment of jarring uh, unreality. And what happens afterwards is that you realize that you wanted this for so long, but you didn't even know that you wanted it. It was like watching Crazy Rich Asians, which I know has some controversial elements. But when I watched that movie, I, I just remember crying. Uh, and I know I, I, I'm not Chinese, but at the same time, it's like, I've never seen a movie like this. And it's a familiar romantic comedy trope. And yet I realize how much richer it is because it comes comes at all of these uh, romantic tropes from a different angle. So 
you know, uh, as a writer, I always wanted, I've always wanted to write something original and different. And at this, and even though I use the plot points of Pride and Prejudice, talking about Muslim experiences from uh, a lived experience, I, I think adds something more to uh, to my story. Basically, you ended up talking about the. I feel like which is a very very relevant plot of just a, what is a normal Muslim bloke who looks like bloke. I just said bloke. It's okay. We forgive him <laughs> because chap. he went to British school. <laughs> I did not. I went to an American school. Well, Sri Lanka just happened to be colonized by the British. So I say bloke and I say chap. Uh, but yeah, it, it gives you the other side or the real side of an average Muslim man after Aisha at last and how it was received and how well it was received. Did you have a? Did you have something that you wanted to write next, or or did uh, how you how Aisha at last was received change your future writings? Well, first of all, I going back to what, something that you that you just said. Um, I, I certainly think I wrote one of the versions of a Muslim story of mm-hmm. regular Muslims, but I certainly don't think Aisha at last is the Muslim story. You, you know what I mean? Like yeah. Paul is kind of a, a caricature in in some ways, even though I I try to make him as close to as close to a real person as possible, but he's he represents a certain type of Muslim man, and and mm-hmm. what I hope to see with uh, you know either my work and and hopefully all of the other writers who will be encouraged and are, are coming up and developing their own stories is um, the diversity within the diversity. I, I want to see more Muslim stories, secular Muslim stories, conservative Muslim stories. Uh, my book is very South Asian because I'm, I'm my parents are from India. Uh, I would like to read stories from other cultures as well first generation, second generation. And, and I think that's really what's so fascinating about being a writer during this time is seeing the way that publishing and uh, traditional ways of storytelling are being kind of shaken up by, by people who are, you know, really disruptors in the industry saying, no, what about our stories? We need our romantic comedies and our mysteries and our science fiction and put some color in there for God's sake because we're so bored of the same story being told the same way. Yeah. And that's, I think, one of the things that's so interesting about um, doing something interesting and new and unprecedented like oh this is a muslim story what happens sometimes when there is a lack of representation is when there is one or two pieces they become like for uh the mainstream perhaps there is this fear that's like oh they might become the only muslim stories right and it's like oh we've just checked off this box and we're gonna move on we've already got one of those under our belt you know what i mean like it um, shouldn't be a novelty i.e yeah it should be it should just be like oh it's a regular thing and that's why I mean, I was I was watching this. Um, I feel like this is happening a little bit also in the film industry. Is that I'm starting to see like I know it's small, but it's there. Like extras who wear hijab, and I'm like, yeah, we got one in there, right? And so it's like even so, even like even when I watch like these different cooking shows on Netflix, oh, yeah. I'm like, oh my god, a hijabi, a Muslim family, woohoo! Yeah, yeah. And so having that variety is like. Definitely. It's, it's um, e- even in a commercial or in a music mm-hmm. video, you know, like there was that Maroon 5 song, Girls Like That. Yeah. And uh, and I remember, you know, Adam Levine is just standing there and, and there's a parade of women who are just kind of, you know, not even facing him. And then there was there were two hijabis. Uh, one of them was uh, MuslimGirl.com, right? She, uh, I forget her name, but she was there and also uh, the person who, who won uh, the recent election. Uh, and it was amazing. There was representation in a Maroon 5 music video. It was so random. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And seeing that is just, yeah, like you said earlier, it's it surreal and jarring. I, I wanted to share a little bit of um, uh, the first chapter with the listeners and talk a little bit about that that moment. And so, me, because I clearly have not read anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So... 
Reading from the first chapter of Aisha last put a smile on my face when you write of the mother, Farzana, telling her son Khalid, and I quote, I was going to tell you after I'd made a few choices, but it appears you are ready to hear the news. I have begun the search for your wife, Farzana announced, and her tone broke no opposition. Love comes after marriage, not before. These Western ideas of romantic love are utter nonsense. Just look at the American divorce rate. So you capture so humorously what I would say is a common or typical interaction in it between a first, second generation um, or in that kind of immigrant household. Did you find it challenging to write um, descriptive moments without being kind of too gimmicky, too stereotypical or falling into um, a kind of a, a, an overused trope? I think the one of the things about not never having your story told is that there aren't a lot of tropes to fall into. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but on the other hand, um, when you're a writer, it's it's so often you're working in isolation. You know, I'm, I'm writing by myself. I'm you know hiding somewhere, and I'm working on my book. This book took eight years, so for for so long, and I, I live with that story for for so long in my head. But what's so incredibly important is to have a critique partner. So I have a, a few writing friends that I trust and we, we share our work and um, I ask for feedback. And in my case, both my writing critique, critique partners are Muslim women and they, they know what I mean when I say, is this too stereotypical? Am I pushing this too much? So um, with scenes like that, for instance, I knew that I was walking a fine line. I didn't want to make her the stereotypical auntie who was nagging her son because, of course, that's not all parents, right? Like, my parents never had that conversation with me in, in, in quite the same way. But, uh, but at the same time, I, w I was building a character who, who did have sort of old-fashioned ideas about the way that people need, you know, that, that her children need to get married uh, in, in, in a way that she sort of controls how they get married, who they get married to. So, yeah, I mean, for me, uh, I was aware of the, I guess, the, the cliched type of stereotypes that you see sometimes. But, uh, and, and what really helped me was having someone else's opinion of my writing. Maybe tone down the aunties or make sure that you have representation, not ha don't have every older woman be the same kind of nagging kind of person. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of different female characters who played different roles. Some were more traditional and some were not. And I, I think, you know, even within stories, we need to have that diversity of thought. And that's really what uh, including different types of narratives um, means. Yeah, because that's how we that's how we exist in our communities, right? Like we like are even within you know a certain group of friends, you have a sort of a variety, and that's just you know of religiosity, of expression, yes. of whatever, even jobs like pro careers, yes. right? And so, and I think that that's so illuminating to an audience who's unfamiliar um, for pretty much my whole life because of where I live um, and because of the schools I went to. I've been surrounded most of the time with non-Muslim friends. And right. one of the things I always hear is like, oh, it's so great that you, know, you, have, you guys have this podcast or it's so great. I write as well. And so it's so great to hear those things because it's, it's like, oh, I never had that point of contact. I never had that moment with that exposure I mean, of course, everyone can, I think, try harder to get to get that, that. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, people will consume a lot of what's in front of them. And when what's in front of them is very similar and almost monolithic, it's nice to have that because, you know, people see all sorts of varieties of, you know, and that's one of the things we wanted to do with this podcast is like, what would happen if someone overheard a conversation we were having at a coffee shop, mm -hmm. right? And so I think, which is, you know, what I think so many writers, aim, I mean, are, you know, especially if you're writing a novel, there's some need for it to be realistic, which is 
that variety that's that's happens in the real world yeah so on that note of <laughs> hoping that what's in front of us is more of a diverse i guess array of genres and stories uh, obviously there's we need people to start writing more uh, or, or similar stuff and and like you were saying uh the stories of different and uh other muslim stories of muslim men muslim women second generation third generation this culture that culture what have you when did you realize that you could write and how does someone go about starting to write uh, i've always been a reader uh, i don't think uh, you can be a writer unless you're first a reader and uh, as i said before i'm a voracious reader and i read across all genres and that's been something that has been probably my only consistent hobby since i was a child so I've all, I was always that book nerd with her nose stuck in like five different books. So I think writing was just a natural progression. I think when I was younger, I was really interested in writing and I, and I, I wrote all the time. I just never told anyone about it because when you grow up as the daughter of a, you know, uh, immigrants from India, pursuing the arts is not really something that, that was encouraged and maybe things are, things have changed, but uh, my, my parents were always very supportive of me, but they were very clear about, yes, you're, you're, you seem to have some talent, but get a day job, you know? So <laughs> I'm a high school teacher and I'm, I'm grateful for, for that job. Uh, I really love it actually. But, uh, but the writing was something that I just did. It was almost like a compulsion. Couldn't help myself, even though writing is very painful. It's a very difficult hobby to pursue and it's an even more difficult job to pursue. But, you know, in this day of hustling, I guess everyone has to, to, to do that. So I, I wrote from a very young age. And it, it wasn't until after I was married, I had my children, I'd been working as a teacher for, oh, God, maybe 10 years, that I really thought, hmm, I wonder what I can do with this. And um, I started writing and it was the first time that I got paid to write. Uh, it was a very small uh, South Asian bridal magazine uh, and, and uh, it was just an article about, I don't know, home renovation or something like that. And I got my first paycheck and it was a very small amount, but I thought, oh my God, I'm getting paid to write. This is amazing. And then it built from there and I started writing for the Toronto Star. Uh, I got a, a weekly, uh, sorry, a bi-weekly column. It's called Samosas and Maple Syrup and I write about culture and parenting. It's, it's a humorous column in the life section. And all, all that time I was also working on my novel. So if someone is interested in pursuing writing, you know, the, the best tip I can give you is to read, read widely, uh, read within the genre that you're interested in writing, uh, talk to other writers and keep, keep working on your craft. I think a lot of times people jump the gun and think, okay, I, I finished a book, I'm, I'm ready to go. But that's really just the beginning of the long journey. I like I like what you said about you, you know you never really told anyone. I remember that I never realized like writing was an actual thing that people can do. Like like you know like I know that people can write. See episode useless degrees. Yeah yeah we yeah I know I remember the first time I got paid for anything I wrote and I was like twenty dollars but I was like I was so in right I was like wow that's crazy like wow this is this is kind of awesome yeah yeah people are, and it was more I know it's compounded by uh, the identity issues right just the idea of. That lack of representation that you were, we were talking about earlier really feeds into that. Well, and, and I think for the longest time, I've, I've said this before in other interviews, for the longest time I had a book, uh, but I just, I just thought no one's going to read this book. No one's going to be interested in this Muslim man who looks like a fundamentalist uh, falling in love. Who cares? <laughs> That's never going to appeal to anyone. It'll just be something that sits in my drawer. And then it was honestly the biggest shock when um, HarperCollins offered to publish my book. Uh, and even before that, when I, I managed to get a literary agent who was interested in representing me, it was like, really? Okay, let's do this. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's like it's it strikes a chord because it's like you said, it's not like a, 
and this is obviously completely fine, but it's not, it's not like a cool, like secular third generation mm -hmm. Muslim man who works on, I don't know, something really, it's not, it, it isn't that kind of, like it's a, like, oh, you expect this guy to be yeah. falling in love, right? It's like, it's, you have this vision, this monolithic vision of like, what this person is and I mean we all have that too like right I have those I, I was telling my mom the other day like I myself have to unlearn so many stereotypes and attitudes I have towards certain you know people in my own community right and we all do it like we all brand people have you know you'd haven't yeah. spoken to someone you're like oh that person's ultra religious they don't like to laugh it's that idea of humanizing but it's, just, it's been ingrained in us right um, yeah unfortunately yeah. We, uh, we have to decolonize our minds I think before we that's go like, out and conquer the world sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, our own, yeah, yeah. Decolonize to go conquer. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah no, I, I think that that's, that's so true. And, and a lot of people told me after they read my book, um, Muslim and Non, that, you know, I never really thought about Muslim women in this way because I have like a variety of Muslim women. You know, I just don't want to talk about Khalid. Like Aisha is a spoken word poet. She's a substitute teacher. Um, she's very loyal to her family. And then I have and that her mother, on the other hand, is, is a single mom. Uh, she works very hard at her job as a nurse. And uh, she, she's very upfront with Aisha. In contrast to Khalid's mother, she's, she tells her daughter, Aisha, listen, I, I don't think marriage is a good idea for you right now. You need to establish your career. And P.S., it's a lot of hard work. And sometimes it sucks. Maybe you shouldn't get married. <laughs> so, you know, just different types of, of women um, and different types of Muslim women are, are, are present in my book. And I hope see different types of women in other types of books and media. That's very true. And that's, I suppose, very relevant in today's society, especially with all the relationships I've seen and people I've met. It's something that really resonates with the people. And clearly, Aisha at last has really resonated with audiences across Canada and over the seas through the interwebs. Uh, yeah. So thank you very much for joining us, uh, Uzma. But before we let you go, there's a little special question that I love to ask and we love to ask our guests here on the show. Well, if you were an animal, what would you be and why? <laughs> it puts people on the spot, so. <laughs> animal, what would I be and why? Yeah, I know, I ask the hard questions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe some kind of like an imaginary one. How about a Oh, yeah, mythical creatures work too. We accept yeah, all, all creatures. I think I'd like to be a dragon. Okay. it's mm, a good one. Nice. No one what, said that. But why? Because they can fly. Their skin is impermeable to flames. And people are always writing about them and thinking about them. So I think I'd like to be... Well, that makes me sound, sound really arrogant, and I'm not. So <laughs> <laughs> I want to be impermeable to flames, please. And I want to be thought about all the time. <laughs> I just thought about the dragon because I think it's cool that dragons live on a pile of gold. I wouldn't mind that. That's <laughs> oh, yeah. As a writer, one can dream. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, uh, exactly. Perfect. Thank you so much for that, Uzma. Uh, where can our lovely audience members find you and find your works and find everything you want them to find? My website is uzmajalaluddin.com. You can find me on Twitter at uzmawrites, U-Z-M-A-W-R-I-T-E-S. Uh, and if you look on my website, you can always drop me a line. I always respond to emails. So yeah, thank you for having me. Perfect. And we'll make sure to link that in our little description of the podcast. And where can they find us, Bara? WHpod.com. That's WHpod.com. And WHpod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Follow us, listen to all six seasons of our show, and catch up on season seven. This has been an episode with Isma Jalaluddin, the writer of I Shot Last. And we'll catch you next time. Goodbye.